0: Well, I am so excited to be here today with you. Uh, I was gone last week and taking care of my wife. She had back surgery, and she is doing pretty well. She now has three positions, if you want to know. She can stand for about 20 minutes. She can sti- sit for about 10, and she complains a little, but which she never does. And she can lay down. So thank you for praying for her. Uh, now, I do this really unique thing that I don't think too many people know. I don't know if you've ever played that game where you share something with people that Uh, that they might not know. I'm an oversharer, so I have very few things that people don't know. But this is one of the things that people don't know very well about me. And I love to stay to the end of a movie. No, actually, the very end of the movie. So... I'm not one of those people who just sees the last scene and walks out. I'm, I'm waiting till the very end. Now, it's not just because sometimes there's cool outtakes, which there are sometimes. It's not just because, you know, there's, there's maybe a sequel or something like that. Uh, it's often because, you know, maybe they're going to show a trailer to another ser- superhero movie. Uh, but mostly, I stay to the very end because I want to see who's in the credits. Uh, I had a friend who was in theater and in movie making, and so he would just tell me, like, you got to wait for the lines, you got to wait for the lines. And he finally convinced me that this is really true. I mean, it takes hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people to make one film. And, and 98% of these people, all the credit they get is their little scrolling name on a white font for about three seconds. And then it's gone. And I just thought about that, and I think you either have to really love what you do or really believe in the film or be really desperate for a job to, to just be satisfied with three seconds and then gone. If that. I mean, when because we love, love to give the credit to someone. I mean, if you think about the people when they go and promote these movies... Uh, it's either a writer, or a director, or maybe a main actor for the film, and we give them all the credit, or or a football team wins, and we bring, you know, the, it's usually the quarterback, and we bring that person up, and, and they stand up and talk about it. They they made this significant contribution, and, and we love to just put all the credit right there. I mean, think about Washington, D.C. Anybody been to the D.C. area? Wow. Okay, so... All right, right. We have a little quiz for you. If you haven't been there before, I'm, I hope you've seen some of these things in school. So hopefully this will be an easy test. I, I would love to... Assessment. We don't do tests. So I'd love to hear from you um, what you think the picture is and then who it's a tribute to. Make sense? All right. So first one. Anyone? Anyone? Lincoln Memorial and tribute to... Abraham Lincoln. Right, right. Good job. Okay, how about this one? And a tribute to George Washington. Uh, how about this one? Jefferson Memorial, not a monument, a memorial for Thomas Jefferson. Anyone remember which president he was? Number three. Nice job. And this one. Kennedy Center. Nice job. And tribute to? John F. There we go. There we go. Excellent. Now, we raise up these monuments because these people did something significant. They contributed to the founding of our country, and so we're excited about that. So we spend a lot of money on bricks and concrete, metal, and we say, woo, yeah. But they're all dead, so we can't really ask them uh, or interview them on what they would say and if they would take the credit or if they would pass the praise. But if we think back to the Olympics, um, if you watched any of the interviews with the gold medal winners, didn't they talk about their training and their dedication and their race? And very, very few of them ever went beyond that. They ever, very few of them ever talked about the people who helped get them there. Why, why is it so easy for us to forget that? Why is it so easy for us, whether it's in film or in sports or in life, to forget those who help us? That's what we're going to look at today. We're in a series called The Heart Right With God. It's a study on this book called Samuel. And and last week we looked at how the people of God, they tried to keep God in a box. They tried to manipulate him and use God for their own purposes. They didn't really trust God all the time. They just kind of wanted to go to him in times of their greatest need. And we don't want to be like that, but but what we look at today will actually show us two actions that we need to take if we're going to keep our lives and our hearts right with God. So if you have a Bible, um, you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7. I'll have it on the screen, but you might want to look at it. If you need or want a Bible, they're in the back. If you don't have one, you can just take it. Uh, but in, this is a pivotal chapter in, in the story of God and in the story of God's people. So we're going to read that. I want to pray for us before we do. First Samuel chapter seven. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this gathering of people to look at your word. It's not just an old story, God. It speaks to us today. So I pray that we could have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to respond. To what your word says today. In your name, amen. It says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 2, that the the people of Israel, or the people of God, they were they were mourning. They were sad because it seemed like the Lord had abandoned them. Mike told the story of, of uh, Eli's son's wife who had a who had a child named Ichabod. I think he just said it because he wanted to really say the name Ichabod. But Ichabod means that the glory of the Lord had departed. And that's what the people felt. They felt like God had abandoned them. And so Samuel says to all the people, if you're really serious about turning back to God, about wanting to return to the Lord, then get rid of your foreign gods, your images of Ashtoreth. Determine to obey only the Lord, and then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So Israel got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel said to them, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and in great ceremony they drew water from a well and they poured it out before the Lord. They also went all day without food and they confessed that they had sinned against God. And it was at, at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. Their leaders at the time. And that when the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and they advanced. And the Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching, and they said, Don't stop pleading to the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. They begged Samuel. They're, they're worshiping together, and this army is approaching. And so Samuel took a young lamb, and he offered it to the Lord as a burnt offering, a whole burnt offering, and he pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered them. And just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines came to attack Israel. So what's going on here? Remember, we've been looking at the people of God. They've had these judges that have come through. This leader, Joshua, brought them into the promised land. There were people living there, and God was giving them the land as they obeyed Him, as they trusted Him. Miracles were happening. They didn't really have to try and do it on their own. Um, There was a little bit of war, there was a little bit of attacking, but a lot of where God just miraculously came in and and either took people away or wiped them out, and and the people moved in. But after Joshua died, the, the people of God. Joshua kind of gave them a, a, not an ultimatum, but a command. And he said, like, there are people that are still here. You need to drive the rest out. And, and as you do, there'll be peace in the land. And, and they just couldn't quite figure that out. So it was judge after judge of, of sort of listening to God and, and sort of obeying and then sort of not obeying. And so they come to this time where, where the Philistines represent God's enemies and Israel's enemies, and, and they are in this place where Samuel is trying to lead them, they realize, they realize that they've used God for their own purposes, that they've manipulated God, that they've not been true to him, and that they've been defeated time after time after time. And so they finally say, God, we need to get right with you. We need to confess that we've tried to use you, manipulate you, been far from you, and and so we're sorry. And we're going to do that through this pouring out of water, through going without food, through confessing, and through gathering together. And that's happened. And so Samuel says, let's restart this devotion to God. Let's return to the Lord. And maybe you've heard the story of the young couple that is totally in love and and so they live out in the farmland uh, let's call it Farmington back when Farmington was more of a farm and so this couple is kind of their high school sweethearts he drives this bright red new pickup truck over he picks her up she kisses her dad she's like I'll be home later and he's like whoa, whoa, wait 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 later and she sl- jumps in the car she slides right across the bench seat almost lands on top of his lap and they drive away and that's kind of their, their romantic relationship is she's like literally almost on his lap as he's driving. And he kind of likes it. He keeps one hand on the steering wheel. He wants to, he's not, He doesn't have a cell phone in his hand. You know, he's being a sort of distracted driver. One hand around her one hand on the steering wheel, and they are just in love. They are just infatuated with each other. And then they go ahead, they get married later, and they, they sit really close together pretty much until that first kid comes. And then that kid, you know, they don't have vaccines, so the kid has to go in between them. And so there's a little bit of space between them, some some of this reaching over to touch each other. Then a couple more kids come, the years blur by. All of a sudden they're retired. They're driving the rusty old red pickup truck out to visit one of their kids. They have a nice lunch with them. They're driving home. She's got her hand on her head with her elbow out the side window, windows down. There's some prairie grasses kind of rolling in the wind, the sunshine. And she's like, we're not close anymore. I mean, we don't even stare at each other. We don't even look at each other like we used to. We don't even gaze into each other's eyes. We don't, I mean, we're not like we used to be. Look, we don't even, we're not even close. Maybe you know the story. He looks over and he says, honey. Who moved? Isn't that kind of like our relationship with God? Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You're just kind of checking out this church God thing. And it just never feels like God is really close. And in those times, whether we know God personally or not, I think a lot of times we're like that. We're the ones who move. We we maybe don't really pray, don't really read the Bible, maybe we make some bad choices. And then maybe it's because we've had a bad church experience. Uh, Maybe it's because somebody told us, you know, if you don't do all the right things with God, then he doesn't love you. And that's totally false. But maybe you've heard stuff like that. And so maybe you feel really far from God. God. But God never moved. God was always waiting. God always wanting the people, his people, all people, to come back to him. And so these people finally realize that they're the ones who moved. And they come closer. And they say, we need to get right with God. And so Samuel says, in, in kind of classic prophetic fashion, if you're a studier of the Bible... Uh, he gives this three-part decision. In the first part, he says, One, if you're really serious about wanting to return to the, go- to turn to the Lord, rid yourself of the foreign gods and the images, the idols, Baal, Asherah, all these other gods that the other people had, and then determine or choose to obey God only, and then he will rescue you. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years before this, this is what Joshua said to the people. Joshua 24 they said this They said so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates in Egypt and serve the Lord alone But if you refuse to serve the Lord then choose today whom you pers- choose today whom you would serve Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that that they serve beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live in? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Okay, same kind of idea, same kind of decision, if you will. We have to thoughtfully consider, who do we live for? Who do we worship or what do we worship? And what I mean by that is, what do we give meaning, significance, and power to? Is it, is it to God or is it to other things? And the people of God realize that they've replaced a relationship with God with either themselves, their decisions, their, their wants, their hopes, or the idols around them. And the idols that these people had were, were, were Asherah poles, they were images of Baal, they were these false gods. And basically they were putting, like I just said, their trust, their hope, their meaning, their wealth, their faith, if you will, in these material things. And I honestly think we're tempted in many of the same ways. There are so many things around us that can give us significance, power, or worth. I was talking to somebody this week who was seeking an upper management role in their company, and they thought just a little more managerial training would be the magic ticket. So they came to this conference to get that stuff in hopes that they would get this job. And as I was talking to this person, there's nothing wrong with a little extra training. And there's nothing wrong with seeking a higher role that this person was doing. But as I got to talking more with him, it seemed like he was putting a little too much hope, a little too much trust, a little too much faith, if you will, in this training to give him the power or the new job. Now, only God knows kind of his heart, but if that's the case, then then the workshop was an idol. Okay, I was talking to somebody else, and she's a woman who trains surgeon fellows when people go on their fellowship after they go through their med school and they go through their internships, then they go and specialize in surgery, and then they have fellowships in surgery. And so this woman trains these people, and she was telling me that that in less than two years after she educates these new surgeons that they make two to three times as much money as she does. And I'm guessing that a surgeon makes an awful lot of money already. So anyway, as she was saying this, I could tell that this was really kind of, there was an angst there. There was there an was anger there. And I kind of poked at it. I asked some questions about it. And she didn't really want to admit that she was putting her wealth, her, her worth in her wealth or lack of wealth. Like, her work was not as significant in the educating of these, these surgeons because they were making so much money than her. And I would say that that wealth was an idol. How about us? How about you? As you think about your life, and you look at where you're tempted to put your worth, your hope, your trust, and your security... Is it, is it in anything other than God? Is it maybe the applause of people? Or a new job? Or a new job title? Is it maybe a new car? Or a new relationship? This person will, will think I'm great, then I must be great. Is it a nicer house, uh, better-behaved kids, uh, a spouse who maybe thinks that you're great? There's all kinds of things. And Samuel says, if you're serious about turning back to the Lord. And Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. And I think the Bible asks us that today. I think the Bible says, do you want to make today the day that you truly follow God? Do you want to make today the day that we live wholly for God? Then we would have the same call. Then we have to get rid of those things that we put our meaning and our significance and our trust in. Now, if you put your meaning and trust or hope in a dating relationship, does that mean you can't ever date anymore? I don't think so. I think maybe it means that you might need to stop dating that person if they're coming before your relationship with God. If if you are putting your significance in a new car in this really amazing vehicle, does that mean you can't have a car? I don't think so. My new me can't have that car. That car might be a stumbling block. That might be an obstacle in your relationship with God. It doesn't have to be a car, it could be a piece of technology, it could be a toy. But it's anything that's kind of coming before God. See, God is truly inclusive in that He wants all people to come to Him, all people to have a face to face relationship with Him. But He's truly exclusive in that He doesn't just want to be one of many multiple options. And as you think about your life, maybe God has been one of many multiple options. And, and maybe he, he feels like far, maybe he just feels far away. Maybe you feel as if he's abandoned you. And so there's a little bit of, I'll just be honest, animosity there. God, but I've prayed to you and you haven't given me this. And you know it's a deep desire in my life and it's not there. I, I want to be healed from this. I want to I have this restored. I want... And it's not out of a selfish want. It's out of a desperate hope. And yet, you feel really far from him. And God lovingly, lovingly says, Who moved? Come to me. I will give you the desires of your heart as you trust me. And the people respond, and they say, okay, we'll come. We were the ones who were selfish. We were the ones that used you. We been, are going to pray to you. We're going to confess our wrong out loud. We're going to go without food to say that we're devoted to you, and, and we're going to make you our first priority. And he accepts them. He takes that at, at, the, at their words. And, and they don't, when, when, when the Philistines come, Remember, they've they've gathered together. They're having a worship service, if you will. They've gathered together to pray, to sing. And what happens? God's enemies come, and they have weapons, and they're ready to attack. They want to get these people out of their land. And these people don't turn around and grab weapons. They don't start attacking. They say to Samuel, for the first time in a long, long, long time, they say, don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us. Do you ever wonder why God allows trouble into our lives? Like, just at that moment that we're feeling like, okay, we're going to come close to him, we're going to come back to him, we're going we're to try this idea and understanding of God again, he just allows trouble, hard trouble. And sometimes we wonder, why? Why? Now I think it's because we can trust God the most when we absolutely have to. When there is no other option, most people, not all people, but most people say, okay, God, I'll give you a chance. And these people came to worship God. They brought singing voices, not swords and shields. They, they went without food, so they're not just hungry for God to save them they're just plain hungry and in that moment they say God we're going to let you work there's no other option and the people come to attack and it says in verse 10 the Lord thundered with a mighty thunder from heaven and and the people were were so thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them they have no weapons I would have loved, if that would have been a movie, that would have been a great scene to watch over and over. Like, what did God do? What did he say? How did this thunder happen? That the people were thrown into such confusion that, that people without weapons came and overtook them. But that's what it says. The, it, the men of Israel chased down the, the God's enemies from Mizpah to Bethkar, and they slaughtered them along the way. And so Samuel took a large stone, and he placed it, between the towns of Mizpah and Shen, or maybe your Bible says Yeshena, and he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And so the the Philistines were subdued, and they didn't invade Israel for some time again, and there was peace in the land while while Samuel led the people. So Samuel puts up this monument. He puts up a stone to say, up till now, the Lord has helped us. So in Hebrew, uh, I'll give you a little, little, I know very little Hebrew, but aben is this word stone. Aben, and then it's azer. And azer is help or helper. So in Genesis 2, when, um, when, it's, when God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will make an azer for him. Same word, helper. And so, so God gives victory to the Israelites. And Samuel says, let's get the stone, let's put it up, and we're going to name this Eben-Azer. An Ebenezer, probably because we watched Christmas Carol too many times or read it. So we have this eben This means a stone of help. This means every time we walk by this place, every time we can say, this is when God helped us. The Lord helped. God helped gets the credit. The people couldn't say, hey, we defeated them. They didn't have any weapons. There was no way. They were going to be demolished. And here they raised an Ebenezer, And we sang earlier, here we we raise our Ebenezer, Ebenezer to show where the Lord has helped us. And that's what we want to do right now. We want to think about what monuments or Ebenezer's that God has done in our lives. Where we can think without a shadow of a doubt, God helped us. Now, maybe this brings to you a very real, literal salvation. Like, I was going to die, and I didn't. Uh, For us, we have one of those with our daughter, Uh, our second daughter. Um, She came out blue. And uh, if we wouldn't have been at the right hospital at the right time and had the right doctor, we don't know if she would have lived. And we say, God did that. And this was never a doctor that Michelle would have picked. I mean, he was grumpy and cold and old and... But absolutely the doctor that she needed to live. And we give God the credit for that. Now maybe when you think of an Ebenezer, a moment where without a shadow of a doubt, God helped. Maybe it was a spiritual death. Maybe it was rescue from addiction. Maybe it was a restoration of a relationship or a marriage. Maybe family members who had never been close and God intervenes, and all of a sudden, there's conversation, there's trust, there's fun. And you can just say, God was the one. God needs the credit for that. Maybe you've never given God credit for that. And then, for those of us who, who call restoration our, 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 our church, our community, have there been times where restoration, where God has helped us, where we know We've got to give God the credit for this. So in your, in your worship folder, there's a blank sheet of paper. Uh, there's actually a basket for pens. So if we need pens, if you need a pen, uh, just raise your hand. We'll get a pen over to you. And we don't, we don't really want this to just be, a, it's not a gimmick. Uh, this is an invitation to participate. And we want to give credit to God for what he's done. So you've got a sheet of paper there, you've got a pen, or you could have a pen in a moment, and we just invite you to write down where you know without a shadow of a doubt, don't have to put your name on it, where you know without a shadow of a doubt, God saved, God did this, God gets the credit. After you write that down, as we sing this song, there's, uh, there's some sticky dots Which are supposedly easier than tape. Put those on your little sheet of paper and tape them to the rock. And we'll just see all the little situations and events where God has helped. Might be as simple as you know, without a shadow of a doubt, God helped you find a job. Thank you, God, for helping me find a job, would be what you'd write. But He deserves the credit. I told you one of mine. Um, so as we sing the song, and as or as the band sings the song, and you can certainly join in. Would you write that down, and would you bring it up and place it on the rock to remind us again that God gets the credit? Come when you're ready. I want us to hear one more important point. I don't want us to miss this. Someone who has a heart right with God is someone who gives God the credit when credit is due. But there's one really important point that we can't miss. It was true for Samuel, and I think it would be true for us. And it's in the same verse, it's 2 Samuel 7 12. He says, Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Catch that first phrase. Up to this point. Like until now, the Lord has helped us. What's really interesting here is that this idea of an Aben Azer wasn't just a stone of help. It wasn't just a rock. At the beginning of their story, when they went into this war with the Philistines, it was actually a town. First Samuel chapter 4. Uh starting in verse one. It says that at the time, Israel was at war with the Philistines and the Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated Israel, killing 4,000 men. This was 20 years before this point. So when Samuel says, we're going to put up this rock and we're going to call it an Ebenezer or an Ebenezer the people would have gone, wait a second, I remember all those stories from 20 years ago. I remember the stories of how we were utterly defeated. And I think that's intentional. I mean, maybe it's just a, a nice little bookmark for the, for the writer to say, hey, this is when the story, this particular part of the story starts, and this is when this particular start of the story ends. But I think it's more than that. I think that that God redeemed the term and he redeemed the town, but I also think that he set it up for two reminders. One, an Abenezur the stone to say, the Lord has helped us, let's not forget that. But Abenezur the city to remind the people of what it looked like when they didn't trust God, when they didn't put him first, when they didn't depend on him. That town reminded them of utter defeat. And I think that speaks to our day and age. I think it speaks to our time. I think it speaks to my life. I had a few people that were helping me kind of form this message, and I think they spoke into this too. I think it reminds us that we kind of have a fickle faith. There are times where we are really, if we feel close to God, if we have a relationship with God, there are times where everything just seems to work. Like we're paddling with the wind. And it's all working. And then there are times where it is a struggle. Where if we're going back to the paddling, we're against the wind, and we're trying so hard, or we've just given up. And all of a sudden, God feels far away. Maybe even it feels like he's abandoned you or us. And this, I think this speaks to that. We can't simply build our security of God on just our past. We can't think we can automate our relationship with God. Oh, I prayed you know, last month, so I'm good. Oh, I went, I went to church last week, so I'm okay. Uh, I don't think a relationship with another human being would work like that. And I don't think a relationship with God works like that either. God wants us to be in a daily moment-by-moment moment relationship with him. And even Samuel forgot this. Catch this at the end of the book, or at the end of the story. Is, Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year, he went on a little speaking circuit. He went to Gilgal, or Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and he judged or led the people there. And then he'd return to his home at Ramah. He even built an altar there. The writer's trying to say that Samuel lived a lifetime of faithfulness, But, next chapter, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges in Israel. And his sons were not like their father. They were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. That is a huge, huge statement. He was faithful, but he forgot his own message up to this point. The Lord has helped. But what about next week, next month, next year? What about at the end of his life? He appointed his sons as judges. Maybe you don't catch that. Uh, If you read the book of Judges at any time in the past, do you know who appoints judges? God. God appoints judges, not Samuel. Samuel decided to play God's part. And it ends very bad for him. It ends bad for God's people talk about that another day but God is the one who does this and now Samuel is just like Eli if you remember if you've been here Eli was the priest that raised Samuel and Eli's sons were wicked and what do we find out about Samuel's sons they're wicked too up to this point the Lord has helped This doesn't suggest that God is like whimsy, he's fickle too, like we can't depend on a faithful, dependent relationship with God. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that not only is this just some old story from 4,000 years ago, I think this story speaks to our lives. It reminds us that daily we need to say, God, I need you, I trust you. Daily because we too easily forget the ways in which he's worked, the ways in which he's helped. Daily because it's too easy to ask God only when we need him, only for the big stuff. Daily because we need to remind ourselves that God is the help and God gets the credit. So daily, I think we have to choose to trust God. And daily, we have to choose to live the way of Jesus rather than live the way of everybody else. That's what Jesus says in Luke 9. I think it's verse 23. He says, if any of you want to be my follower, then turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Every day. Every day. The cross is the ultimate Ebenezer It's not a stone, but it's the ultimate monument. It's the ultimate reminder that God is faithful, that God is dependent, that God, even in the midst of us saying, Very flippantly, I don't need you. God comes to us in human form. He shows us how to live. He loves and he lives to the point where he gives his life for people that say, just kill him. Just kill him. But he lives a perfect life. So even in the death on this tree, he can't stay dead. He raises from the dead. He he has risen from the dead. He defeats sin, he defeats death, and he defeats Satan. So we can live this new life, so we can, we, we never have to worry about if God moves. Even if we're in the rusty old red pickup truck and we feel so far away from God, he never moves. The cross is our ultimate symbol, our ultimate Abenazer. that God is our help, that God always remains, that God always stays. Constant, consistent, forever reaching out, forever calling out to us. Up till now, the Lord has helped. Do you believe that today? Can you believe that today? Will you believe that today? God, as we think about these Ebenezer's, the stone that shows all these ways that you've worked in people's lives, this this wooden cross that reminds us that you gave your life for us, not just in death, but also in everlasting life. You uh, are always available. You are always constant. So when we look at those, God, may we remember your victories instead of looking at our past sins and our past failures. You say that you do not look at our, our sin, but when we, when we confess our wrong. When we trust Jesus, you say it's as far as the east is from the west. You can never have the east and the west cross. They never connect. You forgive and you choose not to remember those things. So God, help us not to live in defeat or to live in abandonment, but help us to live in victory. As people who properly give you credit where credit is due, but who live in the confident hope that you never move. God, help us to be consistent because you're consistent. Help us to be faithful because you're faithful. We don't put our hope and our trust in our efforts to do that. We put our hope and our trust in the fact that you were faithful, God. You are faithful, and you will be faithful. Thank you, God, that up till now, you have helped us. I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, to whatever we need to hear right now as we respond in song and in prayer to you. Amen.